believe it, right? Because he's on our side whether we believe it or not. He is. He is on our side. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside looking in? Huh? Yeah? You ever felt like like everyone else was enjoying life and having a party and and you were just left outside to peer through the window? Have you ever have you ever felt like other people were getting promotions and and rising up and and getting new things and you were just left with no recognition at all. Felt like everyone was against you. And no one was on your side. Well, of course, that song just said, God is on our side. So we know it's not, it's not true. But we have felt it, haven't we? You have felt it. I have felt it. Today we're going to take a, a deep dive into a Bible character... That, that rarely gets more than a passing mention. You, you probably are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story. Two boys, the youngest son decides he wants his inheritance early. Who doesn't? And, he, and he, he, the father grants his inheritance. He runs off. He spends it in wild living. He doesn't have any money. And so then finally he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses when he's at the end of his money. Did you notice that? Yeah. He comes to his senses, the Bible says. I like it. The Bible even says he came to his senses. He realized it. That he was in trouble. And then he, he, he makes up this plan. He says, you know, if, if, if I go back to my father... I don't have an inheritance. I'll go back to him and I'll ask him, don't take me back as a son, just take me back as a hired servant. At least then I'll have a place to sleep and I'll have food in my belly. And that was his plan. But of course we know the story. He comes, he's heading towards home. His father's looking out the window for him. He sees him, he runs out and he grabs him. He is so happy that he is back home. He didn't know if he would ever see his son again. But now here he is. He even says he was as good as dead, but now he is alive. He welcomes him in. He actually throws a great big party for him. Oh, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Everyone is rejoicing. Everyone's happy. And then the older brother comes home. Obviously out in the fields working all day. He comes home. He comes, he comes towards the house. He hears singing and dancing. What's going on? And some of the hired hands tell him, Oh, your brother has come back and your father has thrown a big party for him. And everyone is happy and rejoicing. But we know that older brother is not. The last eight verses of the 15th chapter of Luke gives us this picture of how a repentant sinner should be treated. But it also gives us a picture of how oftentimes repentant sinners are treated. The parables in this whole chapter 
picture two kinds of sinners. The prodigal son pictures the repentant sinner and then the older son who was lost at home. (laughs) He never left, but he was still just as lost. He was unrepentant. And it shows what he does. It shows how we should not treat repentant sinners. All three of these parables in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus told, they emphasize something was lost, then it was found, and then there was great celebration. Every time someone comes to the Lord, there is celebration in heaven, we're told. Every time. Oh, I've been in some churches when people have come to the Lord and there wasn't much celebration. Oh, does he think he's going to come to our church now all the time? Oh, do you know what she's done and she's here in our church? Some people don't know this, but I used to, at one time, I ran a ministry to strippers. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Just, Just the look in your eyes when I said that. There was, and, and it, it started. It started uh, simply enough. There was a, there was, a, a man. I led to. I led him to the Lord. He worked with me. I didn't know it at the time, but his wife was a stripper in the strip joint in town. And uh, pretty soon, he started coming to church, and she started coming with him, and she accepted the Lord, and and she brought her friends. The only friends strippers usually have are strippers. <laughs> and so there was one Sunday when we figured out that we had every single stripper who was working in a strip club in our church on a Sunday morning. Every single one. Oh, and they were a fun bunch. Oh, they were. They you know, and it was. And what was even more funny was to to watch watch the watch the uh, the other church people and their reactions, because oh, they did some interesting things. First of all, first of all, they they understood. Everyone understood that that they should wear they should wear dresses to church. They should dress up. Oh, they wore dresses all right. Yeah, I won't describe them, but they did wear dresses to church. And they were and and they were trying to be respectful. I mean, and I saw their heart. They 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 were trying to be respectful. Oh, and the other thing was, they 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 felt like church was kind of like a concert, you know. And where do you want to be if you go to a concert? Front row, right? They did not understand that the best seats in the church were obviously the back row, right? They they didn't get that. So, so, and they would come in late sometimes, and they would parade down the center aisle all the way down. It was, it was, it was a good size, a good size church. They held about three hundred people or so, you know. And they would parade all the way down the center aisle and take their seats. And you saw, and you saw ladies, church ladies, like like taking their bulletin and trying to cover their husbands' eyes. You know? <laughs> Stop looking at them. Oh, oh, it was great. It, it was, it was great. But we tried to be as welcoming and as open 
And I'll tell you what, I've never seen such spiritually hungry souls in my life. And they just drank it in. And some of them got out of the stripping business. They accepted the Lord. They got out of the stripping business. They be, uh, they, uh, uh, they, you know, we, we, we tried to help them steer them towards some education, some, better, some different jobs. You know, we tried to help them. And, and, you know, some of them we had great success. Some of them we did not have great success. But we tried and they came because they were hungry. How do we treat repentant sinners? when they come into the church. Well, Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, gives us a little key to how we understand these parables. Luke 15, 1 and 2, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. See, Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son to let the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, know that they were as this older son was. They were right there at home doing what they thought was the right thing to do, always being careful not to commit any kind of sin whatsoever, but yet their heart was not right with God. There are so many in the church who are very religious and they do the right things. And they've been going through the motions for years. But they're really on the outside looking in. I I can't tell you how many people in their 80s that I have baptized. People in their 80s. Because, and all the church people thought, oh, because they were coming to church. They'd been coming to church for decades. But they were in their 80s, but they were really on the outside looking in. They really weren't saved. I could usually begin to tell, you know, by, by noticing their demeanor. Much like the older brother, they, they, oftentimes they were nasty, they were negative. Some of them were even a bit nefarious. <laughs> yeah. You know, other times they were just a bit distant, dis- depressed, discouraged. I remember this one man. I remember him very well. He was in his it, probably mid-80s to late-80s. And he had started coming to my church, and he came down to the altar one Sunday, and he says, I want to be baptized. I have accepted Christ as my Savior. He had raised his family in the church. I guarantee you he had served on the church board somewhere along the way. But he had never asked Christ into his heart. He was in his 80s and was saying, I am ready to be baptized. Now, I remember him quite well because our deno- my denominational newspaper or magazine that came out that in the denomination that I, I preached in, uh, it carried a story when it heard about this man in his 80s. It carried a story about him being baptized. Now, now, now the odd thing was, it wasn't so odd that someone in his 80s was getting baptized and accepted the Lord. 
We, we have this idea in the church that, you know, if you put in enough years that somehow automatically, uh, you know, you, you're rubber stamped for heaven. And it doesn't work that way. The reason they carried a story was because on the day that I baptized this man, his mother came to the baptism. Yeah, do the math. They had never heard of someone in his mid-80s whose mother was there at, her, at the baptism. He was her last living son. His mother was well into, way over 100 years old got around wonderfully, clear-minded, and she came to his baptism. I remember asking her, she was a lovely lady, I asked her, I said, so what do you think about your son getting baptized? And she said, well, it's about time, don't you think? <laughs> Oddly enough, a couple years later, I had his funeral, and his mother came to the funeral. She buried all of her children. I don't know how old she was when she died, but she was, when she went to be with Jesus, she was way over 100 and still getting around, able-bodied, sharp of mind, blessed of God. Well, let's get into to talking about this, this older son. This, this older son, you see, he was on the outside looking in. When the celebration was going on, he wouldn't even go in. He was so angry. Why is that? What will make you act like that? What will make a person act like that? The first one is a wrong image of self. Three things I want to talk about. First, a wrong image of self, and he had it. Uh, Luke 15, verse 29, the older son replied, all these years to the father who came out to him, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. This man, this man, this man was carrying some anger, wasn't he? Yeah. The older son was self-righteous. This was this attitude of, of hypocritical scribe and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were exactly like this old man. That's why Jesus told the story. He wanted his disciples to understand the people that you have been following, the role models, the mentors that you have been looking to are on the wrong path. You've got to change your role models. The life of this elder son was filled with I and me and my. And this, this man centered his life on himself. And he lost sight of the goodness and the grace of the Father. And so he finds himself on the outside looking in. The older son boasted of his own virtues and obedience. He, he suffered from a bad case of exalted ego. You know he turned his nose up when the younger son went off and took the inheritance. You know that that just made him even more self-righteous. You know that that made him every morning get up and say, oh, look how good I am. I'm here and I'm serving my father. I'm doing all the right things. Not like that younger son of, or younger brother of mine. Wow. The older son 
boasted of his own virtues and obedience, he suffered from this exalted ego, and he said to his father, look how many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. Now, you notice the father doesn't correct him on that. The father doesn't argue or debate about that. I believe it was probably true. It was probably true. He was the obedient son. But yet Jesus is using him as an example of people who are on the outside looking in. But he was in full obedience. Oh, it takes more than just obedience to be part of the family. It takes, it takes the inside work too. You see, there are people who can be obedient on the outside and become very proud of their obedience on the outside to the point that they have nothing on the inside. God wants to change us on the outside, but he also must change us on the inside if we're going to be part of his family. You see, this, this young man spent so much time being a servant to his father, he forgot to be a son. This is the classic firstborn syndrome, too. Do you notice that? The firstborn tends to be the responsible one in the family. Why? Well, because he has to be. You know, when I was young, there, there were three of us boys. Now, my oldest brother was David. And then came Steve two years later. And, th and that was all the family was supposed to be. That was the planned family. And then six years after Steve... Well, came me. <laughs> I was the mistake. And my parents told me that. And they reminded me of that over and over again. I was the mistake. Well, David, my oldest brother, he was the responsible one. Because he had to take care of his little brother Steve, two years younger. And Steve was the baby. And Steve was not the responsible one. It worked out birth order just perfectly. And then when I came along six years later, Steve was now the middle child. He was the lost child. He was the child. He wasn't the oldest, and he wasn't the baby anymore. He was just there in the middle. He did not take that well, and what made it even worse was my oldest brother David and I, we had the same temperament, and we looked alike. And Steve didn't. He had a different temperament. His hair was different than, than David's and mine. He didn't look like he really belonged in the family. That and being the middle child, oh, he rebelled. My oldest brother, David, he became a doctor. My young, my, the middle brother, Steve, he became a drug addict and a drunkard. And he rebelled. I remember that they had the same school teachers in school. I had some of the same teachers they had. And I know that Stevie complained all the time that all his teachers ever said to him was, Stephen. Why can't you be more like your brother David? He heard it all the time. Year after year after year, they had the same teachers because we went to the same elementary school, and that's what he heard. We went to the same middle school. We went to the same high school. 
Stevie, why can't you be more like your brother David? And it just got into him. Now, by the time I came along, I know that what Stevie said when he would come home from school and complain about that, I know it was true because those same teachers, as I grew up, they would, well, first of all, you know, whenever they looked at me and wanted to call my name, of course, they had to go down the line. David? No, I mean, uh, Stevie. No, you're not Stevie. No, uh, uh, Richard, 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 yeah. You know, they, they did that all the time. I had that all the time. But they would tell me, Richard, thank God you are more like your brother David and not like your brother Stevie. All the time I would hear that. Firstborns tend to be those perfectionists, always striving to please the parents. Words that were related to firstborns, reliable, conscientious, structured, cautious, achievers. That's a firstborn, and that's exactly the way this older brother was acting. So in Jesus' parable, the oldest son, he he did everything right. He obeyed, he stayed at home, he helped his father, he kept all the rules. But now this was the last straw. I mean, this was the last straw. He comes home, finds out the younger brother has returned, and they're throwing him a party? Are you kidding me? He complained to the father. He saw himself as deserving, and he complained, why has his father not even done just the slightest thing for me? And yet I've been here all along. He really was on the outside looking in. He had a distorted image of himself. He had an image of pride and perfection and purity. And that's why he was on the outside looking in. But there's another reason. He had another distorted image. And this one, he had a wrong image of his brother. Notice what he says to the father in verse 30. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The older brother was so unhappy about this. I mean, he was... He was gritting his teeth, you know, when he said that. I mean, he was mad. He was in a rage. He was so mad he couldn't even go inside the house. I will not be a part of that. He stays outside looking in. In fact, he wouldn't even call his younger brother his brother. What did he call him? Yet when this son of yours, wow. This son of yours, it's almost like it's the father's fault. This is all going on. This is your son, you know. I often tell my my kids whenever whenever they, they roll their eyes at something that Trisha, my wife, does, I often tell them, I say, you know, that's your mother. That's your mother. And, of course, now, of course, of course, now they've, they've got a comeback for me. Yeah, it's your wife. You married her. We didn't have a choice. <laughs> but we love each other. I don't know that this older brother loved his younger brother. Now, you notice what else he says? 
this son of yours was out wasting his money with prostitutes. Now, 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 now we, we, we got to think about this. Because earlier in the text, at Luke 15, it tells us a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. There's no mention of prostitutes. I really doubt that this younger brother uh, was posting selfies on Facebook. I really don't think so. MySpace, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, but Facebook had to have come later. He was in a distant land. He was in a far-off place. There was no way that this older brother knew what the younger brother had been doing in the distant land. So what did he choose to talk about? He's wasting your money on prostitutes. You you know, I, I almost wonder... Since he didn't really know, I almost wonder, was he presuming the younger brother was doing what he would have been doing had he been in the distant land? I, it's, it's just a thought. I don't know. I don't know. Just something to think about. But regardless, this older brother was so enraged at this obvious injustice that he missed the fact that this was his brother. This was his family. This was his flesh and blood. This was his kin. He missed that. He missed it. You know, we raised our two daughters. And there was was one thing they knew that would get dad really upset. And uh, they, they, they they used to call it because they knew who I was, you know. And they used to call it. They said, "Man, he, he put on a he 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 resurrected that dragon in him, didn't he?" <laughs> yeah, they knew that they could resurrect that dragon once again. They knew they were going to be in trouble. There was one rule that we had that they just did not ever break, or they were going to hear about it. And that was, and part of it was for their own protection and safety. We had to be concerned about that. They always had each other's back. They always stood up for each other. They always took care of each other. They never sided with their friends against their sister. They could not do that. We could not afford for them to be doing something like that. They had to support each other and encourage each other and forgive each other and love each other. And they knew that if there was any kind of problems going on, they better get it settled real quick before Dad found out because I just would not put up with that. Because friends are fickle, but family is forever. That was what I tried to teach them. And they grew up best friends. When When they both got married, they were both the maid of honor for each other's wedding. And they are still their best, each other's best friends. One lives in Sarasota, one lives in Lakeland. They still get together, and they make, uh, they make time for them to actually get together and do things even when mom and dad aren't involved. They love each other, and they're not afraid to say it to each other and to anyone else. 
They're very different from each other, but they love each other. The older brother missed it. He chose to stay on the outside looking in. Why? Because he had the wrong image of himself. He had the wrong image of his younger brother. And here's the last one. He had a wrong image of his father. Uh, Verse uh, 26 to 28. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. The older brother did. And the servant said, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. You see, the older son didn't understand the father's love and compassion and forgiveness. The father had shown love to both sons by providing for them both the best that he could. He'd shown love to the younger son by giving him what he really didn't deserve. But he asked for it, so he gave it to him. The father gave the younger son his portion of the family estate before the time. The older son didn't understand that the father still had forgiveness and love in his heart for the younger son. The father doesn't show any concern at that moment for what the younger son had done while he was in the far country. He was just glad to have him back again. If you'll note the actions of the father, you'll see that he expressed kindness and love to the younger son before the younger son even had a chance to express his repentance. But he welcomed him with open arms. Come, come, come. He saw the younger son away off, and he ran to him. Now, you know what you and I would probably be doing. We'd be inside that house. We'd peek out the window. Whoa, that looks like the younger son. Oh, it is. Oh, it's my youngest son coming. Well, I think I'll just stay in here for a while and let him come and wait. I'll let him just sit there and knock on that door for just a little bit. That's serving right. Oh, I'll open it. I'll go in. I'll go out there. But, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit here and just wait and, and pretend like I'm just going to pretend like I don't even, uh, don't even see him at all. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we would have done that. But not the father. He runs out and greets him. He loves him that much. But then you got the older brother. And the older brother, he's looking in the window. He's not going in. The father notices him looking in the window. Why isn't he coming in? It's his house. What does the father do? The father goes out to him too. The father goes out to both of the sons. The father goes out to him. And here's what he hears. All these years I've, I've been, I've slaved for you and I never once refused to do it. He hears this big long diatribe. And, and he says to the older son, his father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and now he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He wanted the older son to understand that you can stop stop acting and living your life from the scarcity mindset. Do you know what the scarcity mindset is? It means there's only enough of something to go around. There's only so much. And when that's given out, then there's no more. 
he wanted the he wanted the older son to, to understand there was something called the abundance mindset. Now, scarcity might apply to certain things in life. Oh, but not the important things. No, you see, the scarcity mindset doesn't apply to faith. The scarcity mindset doesn't apply to love. It doesn't apply to hope. It doesn't apply to joy. The scarcity mindset doesn't apply to peace or patience or forgiveness. You can give all of those things in abundance and you can still give more and more. You can ne- you never run out. That's what he wanted him to see. And that's what this older son just didn't understand. All the father had belonged to him now. But now was the time to celebrate. Now is the time to forgive. Now is the time to love. Now is the time to welcome the family back together. Now, one reason Jesus told this parable is to teach his disciples about the ways of the religious leaders of their day. They were careful to do what they thought were the, was the right thing. But Jesus would warn them, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. What sorrow awakes you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Of course, the father in this story is a metaphor for the heavenly father. The older son represents the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And the younger son represents people who have rebelled against God, but then came back to their senses and repent and return. There's nothing that you can do that's beyond God's love and forgiveness and acceptance. You see, there's no scarcity with God. There's only abundance. Now, as I finish this out, of course, you know, we want to know, well, what happened after this? Because this is where the story ends. What happened after this? I mean, we inquiring minds want to know, right? Did, did, did the older son, did he, did he decide to go on into the party and celebrate? Did he stay outside? We don't know. We don't know. What happened to the younger son? Did, 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 did the dad make him live out uh, you know, in the servants' quarters? Or, or did, was he brought into the house and, and got to live there? We, we, don't, we, we just don't know. Did, did the older brother and the younger brother, did they ever patch things up? We don't know. We want to know. But Jesus ends the story right there. And perhaps that's the way it needs to be. Because it leaves you reflecting. It leaves you wondering, are you on the outside looking in? Bless you.